Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is the day after Friday edition, Pittsburgh edition. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It's Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. day after of course that means el presidente buck sanders and jason staples joining me recording this what eight hours less than eight hours after carolina goes up to pittsburgh uh starts terribly has a chance in the end but many of the old same issues cropped up for the tar heels at the last minute allowing kenny pickett and pittsburgh get out of the get out of that game in a monsoon to end it, but with a 30 to 23 overtime loss, I got a lot to say, but I buck, I'm going to let you come in and give your overall take, Jason, you can do the same. And then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the hows and whys. No, I, I think I ought to defer to you, Tommy. I, I, I'm going to wait to hear your take and, uh, you know, kind of analyze how you did on your take. And then we'll go from there because I I've heard nothing, but just ranting and raving, uh, starting with the slack feed last night, all the way through the lead up to this podcast. So I'm going to skid out of the way and let you do your thing, dog. Well, 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 I cannot turn down an opportunity. When the boss tells you to talk, you talk, Jason, I'm sorry. You have to get me after, uh, I said it on Twitter. I said it on the slack feed. You don't chase points in the third quarter. Carolina continues to screw up on the coaching end of it by doing unexplicable things um, and base them off analytics. Now, I know what the argument's going to be. The analytics say go for two. Why chase points in a game like that? Somebody said, well, you never knew Carolina defense was going to hold Pittsburgh, which is exactly why you don't chase points. You take the points they give you. Carolina has an opportunity to cut the game to nine points, 23 to 14, with plenty of time left. For whatever reason, and I knew when they showed Mac Brown standing beside Sparky with that notebook, I knew that something squirrely was going to happen in this ball game. The players made decisions. The players make mistakes. The players do what they do. But one thing that cannot continue to happen with this team is that the coaching staff cannot continue to make errors that cost them games. I'm totally fine with a bad snap. You can live with that. It happens. Jason, you can explain why it shouldn't have happened, but I can live with that. I can live with penalties that kids make. I cannot continue to watch or difficult. It's difficult to watch that the grown people in the room that I've been talking about this entire season make boneheaded decisions that cost these guys a game that they quite frankly deserve to win. The players deserve to win, period. Kenny Pickett is elite, and he showed it early. After that first rush, the stats will tell you Carolina's defense made adjustments. They did what they had to do to win, and it was snatched out of their hands by coaching decisions. My take, I'll own it if I'm wrong. I would wager that I'm not the only person that believes that. So, Buck, that's the first half of my rant. Take it away, my friend. Well, let me say, uh, start with Mrs. Uh, Buck completely agrees with you. Um, uh, she was, uh, she was ranting all the way, uh, 
until the lights went out um, for the evening about uh, they should have uh, gone ahead and, and kicked that extra point. You know, is it, uh, was it the smartest decision? It didn't turn out that way, right? I mean, in theory, if he kicks that uh, extra point, they walk out of there a winner 24 to 23. But you don't know how that extra point would have changed what was going to follow afterwards. I think either call would have been equally correct. And the fact that it didn't turn out in 2020 hindsight from Johnson County uh, is not a reason to do it that way. I mean, sure, it, it, it would have been nice to leave Heinz Field 24-23 winner, uh, but either call at the moment, in the moment, would have been fine. I, I would have been fine whatever he uh, called at that point. So uh, you want to rant, you want to blame somebody, you want to point fingers, you know, stick your finger in the eye of Mac Brown and other people. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, you know, one, uh, six of one half dozen of the other of the right call to make there. That's my take. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to buck on this. Y'all both are wrong. I'm going all in. I'm in. Oh, I know you're going. I know you're going. <laughs> There's all no in question here. about going. You're you're all in. You know. <laughs> yeah, you're you're all in. You, you're and, and look, never been wrong. Settle in doubt. <laughs> anybody who's listened to this this day after podcast all year knows that I've not exactly been uh, a, a strong defender of of Sparky and and his game management decisions in all sorts of ways, but. Fact of the matter is, I, I tend not to be. I tend to default away from the, the old principle of you don't chase points, because it's one of those things. It's a it's an easy hindsight uh, bias. Uh, it's easily thrown off by hindsight bias, where it's one of those where if you do chase points and then you don't get them, it's one of those things where it's easy to go back and be like, well, that's why you don't chase points, which is what happened here. But on the flip side, there are lots of cases where you choose not to chase points and then you end up a point short on your comeback later, right? So to Buck's point, let's say you go for it and you do get it there. Now you're down eight. Now it's a one possession game where if you score a touchdown, you can, you can tie it one touchdown instead of needing to score a touchdown and an extra and a field goal, right? So that, that, and, and the thing is, if you kick the, if you kick the extra point, all things being equal touchdown and a field goal wins the game for you now, instead of a touchdown and a field goal doesn't right. So that, and it's a coin flip in terms of percentages and, and, and on, on whether you're going to get the two pointer to begin with. Right. And if you go for it and don't get it, then a touchdown and an extra, and an extra point still ties it. Which it did. So you go, from, wound you up go from a chance to make it a one possession game where a touchdown and an extra point or a touchdown and a field goal wins it versus where it was, where a touchdown and a, and a field goal ties it. So that's one of the reasons that, that, that I tend not to, to be as adamant about the don't chase points thing. Because look, if you have an opportunity to put yourself in a one possession game, that matters a lot. Uh, now, on the flip side, too, the, the other, other reason why this is a, kind of a hindsight bias kind of thing is 
if you go for if you don't go for it and you and you kick it and all of that it may turn out or it may not but it's one of those things where later on it's easy for the for the decision makers or for the critics of the decision makers to go well you know they didn't chase points they just weren't able to do anything later no big deal but the fact is if they'd gone for it maybe they would maybe they would have actually won it and it's hard anytime you're dealing with counterfactuals that's hard and the models actually i mean ben baldwin's model on this says it's a slight advantage to to go for two there that you, it's slight the analytics in that situation with that much time remaining in a game that basically features those factors you're slightly more likely it's like one percent more likely to win the game <laughs> if you go for two which basically that puts it where el jefe puts it which is it's you know you, you make the call you make and it really isn't actually that big of a deal to me the 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 there are a couple ones to really go after that aren't the two-point conversion to me the 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 biggest mistake was your fourth and four on the pit pit 39 the start of the fourth quarter and you go for it on fourth and four and you throw a super low percentage deep ball to justin olsen down the left sideline and I, that's the one that leaves me scratching my head is what, what in the world are you thinking with that? Like how, talk about oh, how smart you're, that's, that's not that? necessarily a coaching decision though, right? Not necessarily, but I mean, I, I want to take a look at what, what other options are there, but, but it, 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 that, that was a head scratcher to me. That that's the one where I go, wait a second, like you're going to, that, that's even going to be an option there. Fourth and four in a, in a make or, you know, make or break situation. And you're going to be, you know, you need a field goal and a touchdown and you're in a position where you've got a field goal kicker who can make that for one in, in the weather conditions that were present at that time, or you've got, you know, a variety of, of plays that you feel pretty comfortable that you can, you can hit on fourth and four. I, I just, I, I, that one, I don't understand. And, and to do that as a, as a straight go route too. Okay. Look, if you want to do a pump and go and, and, and basically play on the idea that they know down on distance and try to get a deep, a deep shot there. Okay. I can kind of get that, but they're a, press quarters team where any vertical route it doesn't matter down in distance the corner is just going to press and play that and run with the guy no matter what so i just like that's the decision and i'm like you called a timeout and you come out of the timeout with that it, i don't uh, know if that's you know buck you're right it might not be entirely coaching decision maybe maybe Howell made the wrong call there well, he but talked just about had, it in the post game he, he owned it, it in the post game, but yeah. yeah, yeah, but you just, but but my thing is, as a coach, uh, uh, as a coach, you have two minutes during the timeout to talk through the entire situation with your with your quarterback to say, all right, here's your situation. I know it may be tempting to go do this. Don't do this. <laughs> here's what here's what we're looking for. You do this. Now, yeah, I mean, Howell owns it, but just even giving that opportunity to your guy. That's the question mark for me. 
that to me is one of the two or three places where this game was really lost. Yeah, I mean, like I said, players make mistakes. Players do things. I, I agree with you. When I saw that play, it was like, what in the world are they doing? Uh, there, there are plenty of other, you know, a lot of people are going to say you got, was it first and two at the two and you don't punch it in to win the game and all that. I get all that That's stuff. the ball game right there. That 100% that's the ball game. I get it. But those things happen. And what I contend is that it just can't keep happening from the coaching staff. It can't keep happening. Something's got to change there. Look, let's talk about the positives. And, you know, we're not into moral victories, um, never have been. But Carolina's defense, Buck, I mean, they went from people in the stands texting going, why did we come to Pittsburgh? This is awful. I'm going to be out of here by 9 o'clock. Um, you know, drinking a beer somewhere to shutting Pittsburgh down for the majority of that game. What did you see out there? I saw guys flying around. I saw them making a picket uncomfortable. All the things that we talked about, Jason, in the pregame show, they were able to do. Uh, if you told me that Pittsburgh was going to have 23 points at the end of regulation, I'd have said Carolina beat the hell out of them, period and would have been one of those program-changing or or corner-turning games. But Buck Bateman, he's been banged on all year. We bang on him plenty. His his unit stepped up and did some things last night. He sure did. And, you know, even uh, on uh, what Pittsburgh was able to do offensively, a couple of those were uh, North Carolina gave him a short field. So – the overall, I mean, it looked bad that they gave up 23 points in the first half. Um, but, you know, even there, North, uh, North Carolina's offense wasn't helping out much there, giving, providing a short field. And they, they didn't have a – they didn't convert a third down in, in the entire first half. Um, so, after that, though, or e- even really starting before that, what I saw – and this is super simplistic and probably doesn't get near what was going on with the X's and O's and so forth. But, uh, North Carolina defenders started hitting people, uh, that hit geo biggers put on, uh, their wide out, I guess is number six. The Addison. I, uh, I, I'm yeah, surprised Addison. that kid. I'm surprised that kid was able to walk off the field. Well, and, and don't forget the one that Conley. Yeah, Conley I, I, hey, I was getting there. After that. I was getting there. I was getting there. Uh, <laughs> you know, they started laying some wood. I mean, uh, more so really, uh, or at least I thought so, um, than uh, they've shown this year that, uh, you know, that they weren't bashful about delivering some hits out there. And those kinds of things, I think, and, and Jason can speak to this more so than I can, but when you see a teammate just completely lay somebody out and just like the, the bigger hit on Addison, um, and the Conley hit, that's going to pick up their game. Uh, they're going to respond to that. Um, uh, they're going to say, well, Hey, uh, this guy's fighting. I'm going to fight too. You know, uh, he just showed me what he's going to do. Let's see what I can do. So I I think now X's and O's wise, clearly something was going on with their pass rush 
um, plans there in the second half because uh, they got the Kenny Pickett like what four times. Uh, I don't know if all those came in the second half, but uh, they started getting to him with regularity there, um, and and that was responsible for some of those stops and. Getting the stops. We talked about this last week, uh, the stop percentage. Uh, this was probably not right, but I think uh, 10 of 14. Uh, yeah, including the, including uh, overtime. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, 10 of 14 defensive stops. And and people want to say, well, North Carolina's defense was horrible. Well, I know it what. Um, you know, uh, you, you can stop the other team 10 out of 14 times. You're give, you're doing more than giving your offense a chance to win. So yes, uh, you know, there's times and places to be critical of certain aspects of performance and production, but, uh, it wasn't that time and place last night, uh, for the UNC defense. This is definitely the most confident they've looked in in a long, long time, certainly this year. Yeah, I was going to ask you more. So second half stats, and I'm not sure if it includes overtime or not. I'm not sure how this is kept. But anyway, Pitt, 104 total yards, two yards rushing, 10 carries, 0.2 yards per carry. Pickett, 12 for 22, one and one for 102. I guess it does include overtime because that one's that touchdown. I mean, clearly, I haven't watched the game again. When I got up at 5 a.m. this morning, it was on a replay. I turned it off, turned it to the local news because I'm not ready yet to watch the end of that one again. Uh, Jason, what did you see differently other than the confidence, other than guys hitting like Buck said? Was was Bateman doing – I know when they were rushing four, three and four, Pickett could have built a house back there, could have had coffee, uh, done whatever he wanted, but then it flipped. Was it a, was it a, a player flip, a, a mental flip, or was there something schematically that you could see without going back and looking at it? And I will say this: if folks are listening, Jason's breakdowns this week should be quite fun. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah. So I mean, in terms of of schematic changes in the second half, I, I, nothing jumped out to me in terms of what they were doing up front that, oh, wow, they, you know, they made that shift. I, I, I didn't see that on a first watch. I need to go back and, and, and take a look at, at, at it closer to have a better sense. But, you know, we're eight hours removed. I haven't had a chance to go back through. I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot that has said, oh, yeah, yeah, they, this was a big shift in terms of X's and O's. What I did see was in the second half, Carolina won a bunch of one-on-ones with offensive linemen. And that, you know, you look at Tamon Fox won some hand fighting and got some angles to get in the backfield. Uh, you know, they, they uh, came in Rucker similar. Uh, you know, you, you saw some of those guys actually starting to win one-on-ones that allowed them to get pressure. Uh, I do think, I mean, one one thing that they did do, I think, a little more in the second half is in passing situations, I do think they they stunted. There were a couple particular stunts that they went with in the second half. They they did some uh some uh some TE stunts, some uh tackle end stunts where the tackle kind of 
go, tackle goes first and tries to occupy the extra blocker and the, and the end kind of loops around. Uh, they did that a couple times and got pressure, but it's not like they didn't, they didn't do that at all in the first half, but they, they did have a little bit more success with their, with their stunts in the second half than they did in the first. And I don't think that's necessarily an X's and O's difference, but you know, something seems to have gone, have gotten fixed in terms of their overall execution. A couple of those things where they didn't allow themselves to get kind of piled together and, and, and things like that. So, I think it was, again, first watch, I think it was more of players settling in and starting to win matchups than it was anything else. Uh, but I do think they also got, they just got confident because I think they started realizing after the, after the first quarter, we can, we can play these guys. We can defend these guys. We can stay with these guys. And they started getting a feel for what Pitt was doing. And once they settled in after that first quarter, and Buck's right, I mean, they – they they were they had their backs against the wall from you know from the jump in the first quarter where you know going short fields and all that but they competed and still made Pitt earn it on every drive and you could see as that game went along like they started gaining more and more confidence and they started playing faster and you know it, it looked it looked a lot better they they that was that was closer to the defense that a lot of us thought we'd see at some point this year, probably earlier this year, but that was closer to what we thought we'd see as some of the young guys started to uh, started to get more comfortable and with storm duck on the field more often. And some of these other things and duck did get beat a couple times in this one, but you know, that is going to happen, especially since he's, I don't think he's still fully recovered all his, his straight speed, but you're looking at a defense that looked a lot more like what <laughs> I don't think anybody would be, disappointed if that's the defense that showed up the rest of the year and tommy uh, if i could jump in for a second it no more victories right you're right absolutely no more victories but if you look at uh the teams they've played in the last two weeks it was averaging 45 a game wake forest was averaging 44 uh and Virginia's averaging almost 40 and Miami's averaging 32. If, if you go down the list of teams in the ACC, uh, with the best offenses, North Carolina's beaten Wake Forest, Virginia, and Miami, and they should have beaten Pittsburgh last night. Um, so they're hanging with the, the most potent offenses in the ACC. Um, and it, that's just something that we're going to have to think about during the off season, how that went down and they're not going to get the credit, uh, immediately from the fan base or from anybody else really for keeping it close against Pittsburgh. But, you know, this is a team, I mean, they were the high scoring offense in the nation, you know, number one scoring offense in the nation regulation. They held them to 23 points as much as UNC's defense has been maligned this year that was that was something that was something yeah, the to numbers say. the numbers that they that they held pit to were almost almost the same numbers that that clemson held pit to yep look pit. if you're getting the same if you're getting the same defensive results as clemson you can you can generally live with that 
<laughs> yeah, Pitt had 199 yards in the first quarter, finished with 416. My poor math skills, that's 217 um, in the final three quarters. I mean, and I've already mentioned the second half. Yeah, give Carolina's defense credit, and that's something we haven't said. And they gave Carolina – haven't had the opportunity to say. Yeah, I mean, we've had no reason <laughs> to say it until – except for the Duke game in this. So, I, I think, yes, yeah, something to build on there. The question is, can they keep it going? Um because like everything, every they've been up and down as well. Uh, let me take a Johnny T-shirt break. Johnny T-shirt, mm. Johnny T-shirt, T-shirt.com. Sponsors of this podcast, friends of Inside Carolina, friends of you as an Inside Carolina premium subscriber. You get 10% off your order um, with that Inside Carolina premium subscription. You also get the breakdowns, the film breakdowns that Jason's going to bring you. All the content that Greg and Gregory and Ross and Joey and – the whole team, Vip in his podcast, you get all that stuff um, and you get to be part of a great message board community and you get good swag from Johnny and Johnny T-shirt. National guys will pay the bills. We'll come right back the day after podcast. Carolina falls in the rain at Pittsburgh, 30 to 23. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, fellas, we're back. Um, listeners, if you haven't rated, review us reviewed us and subscribed yet do it follow however you get your podcast and your youtubes but let's talk about the offense and i feel like this is sort of a truncated day after podcast because it is friday morning but i do want to talk about a few things offensively and you know mac said it last week in post game in the locker room that we saw that video clip about sam howell being the leader that dude's arms looked like he – somebody on the message board said it looked like he'd been fighting a grizzly bear, and he kept kept right on, right on doing it. Over time, you just knew. <laughs> if you followed Carolina football enough, you knew that that rain was going to start pouring, pouring as soon as Pitt scored that get, that touchdown to take the lead. But, Buck, I, I don't know if I've seen a player for North Carolina, and I've been watching for all my life. I don't know if I've seen a player that just puts as much – heart and soul into doing whatever he can to help this team win. He's not always perfect. He's had some bad spots and he made some bad reads last night, but Sam Howell's effort um, to get his team back in it and to win that game uh, is pretty much unmatched and it's going to be unmatched unless somebody else comes along that can remotely come close to what he does for Carolina. You know, the, the basketball analog is Tyler Hansbrough, right? Um, and, and that's a good analogy, I think. Uh, he, he really does, um, you know, every snap, he gives everything that he has to that snap. He's in the moment all the time. Um, he never takes a play off. Uh, and I tell you, probably one of the best plays he made last night. In fact, uh, Mac Brown almost lost his mind uh, when uh, – Sam made his play is on the bad snap and, uh, Sam gets his hands on it and throws it out of the end zone. That was a heck of a play. Um, uh, 
watching that, I said to myself, man, that was a great play, Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to get back on that snap and throw it out of the end zone and, and nothing worse than second and 10 results from that play. And that's, that's heads up playing gritty football. And I think, uh, if, if you want to be someone that gives, uh, UNC a little bit of credit for last night. The word that I would use to describe the entire team for the most part was they played gritty football. They were gritty. That's how I would describe it. Um, and you know, say what you will about the coaching decisions, which if, if it were me and I were a Pittsburgh fan and they had lost that game, the end of regulation clock management by Narducci would have been exhibit one on why he needed to get canned. I mean, they burnt like 35 seconds. I think of the minute they had left on one play trying to get lined up. Um, so anyway, we could, we can always be critical of those things, um, and second guess them. And sometimes we're very right to do so, but, uh, the grit that they played with, I think is, uh, something that's pleasing to see. And hopefully something that's foundational for this team, uh, not just this year, but next year. Yeah, Jason, looking at how stats, 23, 33, 22 of 33, uh, almost 300 yards, I believe 296 rushing yards. We said in the pregame that he had to have a big game with his legs. Well, nobody for Carolina had a big game with their legs, but they did have some timely runs. How with a couple runs in the second half and fourth quarter. Um, to move the chains, and then Ty Chandler gets that nice, nice play call, and bust off one that gets down to the goal line. What did you see from the offense specifically on again on the first watch? And I'll be interested to hear Ingersoll's take. That offensive line was getting absolutely whipped in the first quarter. I mean, it was it, it's one of those it, times. It, it looked bad. It, it is. It's like okay, boys. The game started at seven thirty. You know, we need to start the game at 7.30 and not 8.15. What did you see after that initial rush by Pittsburgh that settled Carolina down I mean, allowed them to sort of work their way back in? Well, I'm not sure that it was after that initial quarter. I mean, I, I think it wasn't really until the second half that you saw those guys start to figure it out. And I don't know what was said at halftime or what was exactly done, but some of the fundamental mistakes that they were making that were just egregious in the first, in the first half, those things weren't as bad in the second half uh, where you had guys, you know, that anytime Pitt stunted or did anything with, you know, uh, with a, a, a blitz or anything like that in the first half, it looked like they were like, they hadn't seen, like they hadn't watched film on what Pitt does. And it looked like they weren't prepared to do just basic pass-offs and, you know, these sorts of things. And we've seen that, we've seen that before from this Carolina offensive line. And that was, that was where they got killed in the first half. Uh, Second half, they still gave up some pressure and and you're going to, to some degree against a a defensive line like Pitts. I mean, they, they get after you, but second, second half, they, they were much better prepared for some of those things and, and handled it better. I also thought that, that some of the, some of the play calling in the second half 
took off some of the pressure in that they were they were uh, asking the offensive line to do a little less against. They were going those, with quicker plays on the some of those looks. Yeah, they they started they started dropping and, and basically giving going more quick game and and just just RPO type stuff along with a couple deep shots where you know you drop you hit the top of your drop and you get rid of it. And I thought they should have been doing that from the from the jump because I mean this was going to be a game where it was going to be a tough matchup for the offensive line just because of how good Pitt's defensive line is, but. I thought they they helped their offensive line schematically some in the second half as well, and that paid off. I'm I'm still baffled, and this is where you know go. I'm going to go back to the two point conversion on this. I'm still baffled by the call there because you're asking your offensive line to win in a stacked box situation there, and then run your quarterback there with no other options. I mean, if you're going to give a quarterback a run option there, that's not the way I want to go. Not the, not the one I want to use. And that's hindsight for sure. But that sure is not the two point play I would have had prepared going into that game. And, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm a big proponent of you have to have at least two special fourth down uh, two point conversion plays prepared every week. And it didn't look very, it didn't look like they had anything special there. Um, so all in all, I thought it was overall uneven from the offense in terms of just overall scheme, some of the decision-making. I mean, I've already gone after the, the decision to throw deep to, to Olsen on fourth and four. Uh, I've, I've got, you know, some complaints, but I do think that as the game went along, they started to get more comfortable with what Pitt was doing and finding ways to alleviate some of that pressure and give Howell some opportunities. They also cleaned up the running game a little bit. I mean, they did run with some success in the second half. I'm, I, I got to look at this in terms of uh, overall difference here, but you look at second half, they, uh, you know, Carolina ran the ball for 82 yards in the second half. So, you like know, 88 on the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, they had six in the first half and 82 in the second. And some of that was DJ Jones and Chandler getting free. And some of that was, you know, about a 20-yard run from Howell at one point that was that was key. So, you know, you had you had to do that. And we talked about this, that, that Pitt's going to limit you to a bunch of short gains, but you have to stick with it enough to start getting some chunks. And you can get some chunks on them if you, if you do. And they did a good job of that in the second half. So I, you got to tip your hat and, and, and say they did a good job there. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, it was an up and down performance. One guy I do want to call out that played as good a game as he's played all, uh, you know, in his career is Antoine Green. And, you know, we've talked about this for a while that that guy needed to be needed to be able to step up this year for 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 this team to 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 achieve what they wanted. And he needed to have Sam Howell's trust and Howell needed to trust him and all of this. And early in the year, there was a disconnect there. And, you, you know, how many times was I a, uh, a, a bit of a, a broken record on this going, dude, like that guy's open. I don't understand why they're not going to him. Something's got to get fixed. There's a disconnect here. Well, that disconnect seems to have been that that fracture, whatever was there seems to have been healed up because he green has really come on the last couple of weeks. And, you know, he he obviously uh, had the long what 73 yarder. Uh, that, that uh, what was it? 76. 76. Longest yeah, 76 play of the yard. year. Longest, Longest play of the year. 
and that was a play where he just flat out beat the corner off the line of scrimmage. And in Heinz Field, you know, you do that. <laughs> Sometimes the guy's going to slip trying to catch back up and walks in. And then the other one, the second touchdown catch, that was a great catch. I mean, you talk about the soft hands that, you know, I've, I've, I've said in terms of my scouting report since I first looked at him, uh, that was a play where you've got to have soft and very strong hands to, to come down with that and not let that DB fight to, to grab it and to, to knock that away. And, you know, those are big time plays that put Carolina back in, in the game and, you know, tip of the cap to a guy who's been through a lot and has not, uh, quite had the career that he wanted to this point, but now he's starting to show the kind of talent that he had that had, you know, his position coaches at different points excited about what his potential was. Uh, so, you know, again, that's a good sign going forward and, he's got another year here if he wants. So it'll be interesting to see what that, what decision is made there. But, uh, but again, tip of the cap to a guy who I think might've played his best game in a Carolina uniform as well on the offensive side. Yeah. He stuck with it and he has been rewarded. Um, I believe he three for one Oh eight last night, of course, the long one over the top, but you're right. The touchdown was, was an amazing catch. Um, We've done the good. We started with the bad, at least the bad for me. I, that could have been the ugly too. We've done the good. Let's let's talk about the ugly briefly before we get out of here. And Buck, this is something that I believe Carolina in the first half of the season, Greg Barnes had the stat. It was like just ridiculously good on the penalty side of things. And now they've just totally flipped the switch and gone straight undisciplined. Um, again, you can live sometimes with aggressive – um, penalties at times, but I mean, false starting and, and you got guys that don't normally do it, but false starting when they've got like 15 people in the stands, uh, bad snaps on a situation where you can't have it speak to that portion of it, but that's something that I've always thought should get better as the season progresses, but it goes back to what's allowed, I think. And that's why it's gotten worse here for Carolina. How frustrating is that aspect of this game, knowing that Carolina was that close to winning this one? It's, it's very frustrating, uh, Tommy. And I, I'm not really sure this is a, um, a situation where you get what you allow. Um, I, I think that once the season kind of got away from North Carolina, uh, some guys maybe got frustrated. Um, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, some of these penalties just are mind boggling. I mean, um, I don't want to throw anybody in particular under the bus, but there are two or three of them made the difference in the game, essentially. Uh, so in any event, um, uh, how it gets this out of whack between the first half of the season and the second half of the season also has to do with the quality of opponent. Um, and the first half of the season, uh, they may not have felt like they needed to, uh, reach and grab and, uh, leave the line early and other things. But in the last ever, how many weeks, North Carolina's played, uh, top 25 competition, uh, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh. Notre Dame, uh, 
those teams in the back half of the season. And so I, I think that might have had something to do with the uh, penalty numbers getting worse. Jason, discipline. How difficult is it to police it, to insist on it in this? I'm looking at Carolina's penalties. Offensive penalties, you had uh, three personal fouls. A couple of those were on the punt, I guess. You got false start, false start, false start, a couple holdings. Defensive holdings twice um, cost first downs. Pass interference cost first down. Illegal substitution, that was kind of a BS one there. I agree with Mac. I mean, Pittsburgh's going to sub. You got to give Carolina a chance. But, yeah, the discipline aspect of this game. We can talk about the coaching. We can talk about the players. Uh, the discipline in the last few weeks has really lacked on this squad. And that, that like Buck said, maybe it's the – level of competition maybe it's the season sliding away what is it in your opinion well uh, i mean i think you're you're right about you have to break down what kind of penalties you're getting right because there's, there's there's good penalties and bad penalties uh you you actually don't want to be a team that that leads the nation and not uh and not and and least amount of penalties because that tells me that you're not playing enough on the edge to be the kind of team that you need to be. <laughs> well right? spoken by a Florida State graduate. <laughs> yeah. I agree with it you, is though. What it that, is, that, right? that, that is the total uh, seminal way of life there. Lead the yeah, conference yeah. and you, lead the conference in penalties and, and finish number one. Yeah, and, and because the type of penalties you get matters. And you know what? Sometimes that extra late hit penalty on the quarterback in the pocket just after he after he throws it where you you know you come up under that guy's ribs a little bit or different things like that that's going to you know it, that's a body blow where you know this is this is the whole take the guy's take the guy's ribs in in the boxing match and you're taking his power well you know that body blow might impact a throw later in the game you might take that once in a while play through the echo of the whistle that's okay i can live with some of that right some of the others you look at and you go, this is bad technique. I mean, a number of the holding calls that they've, that they've gotten, those are, those are the result of bad technique from, from one guy or another up front. It's because, you know, you're trying to pass this guy off and the guy that you're passing him off to isn't there, or, you know, you set too deep and now the guy, now you're in bad position. There's just a number of things like that, that, that is a kind of get what you allow technique wise because your technique failing is why you end up holding. So I think that's one of those things where it's less a matter of discipline about the penalty itself and more about staying after guys to make sure that their technique is perfect every time. Uh, a couple of the defensive penalties, I, I don't have too much of a complaint about either because you're looking at double moves and the defensive back knows he's beat. What do you do? Look, I'm pulling that guy down. I'm taking my holding so that it's not a touchdown. And, you know, the one, the one hold on, um, uh, I'm trying to think of who it was. Uh, Cam Kelly. Oh yeah. 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 Cam Kelly, where he held Addison. Look, he doesn't hold there. That's touchdown. Good decision, son. (laughs) Right. You're playing, you're playing hard defense. You, you, you jump a route and you realize, Oh shoot. (laughs) I'll take that penalty. Right. A couple of the ones on Duck, I mean, he's a guy that hasn't played as much in, in recent weeks. He's still getting his feet wet, and as happens with Ducks. Um, so, you know, that that's going to happen. I do wonder 
I mean, one of the things that I really liked actually when I've, when I've been at Clemson practices is that their defensive backs practice, they spend a good amount of the practice that they have in boxing gloves so that they actually cannot hold, right? So they have to learn to use their hands with the boxing gloves on jams and all that without being able to hold jersey. And I actually think that's a really good practice as a rule. Um, I think more defenses should, should use that in terms of their DBs for, for, for drills. Uh, to prevent some of the extra grab that you're that you're prone to do. That said, Clemson gets plenty handsy and grabby <laughs> once they get into games too, so it's not exactly gonna gonna fix that. But the defensive penalties, by and large, I, I don't have a problem with the five penalties for 37 yards in the context that they got them. I mean, the the one in the first half on Duck that cost them. I think that drive. I mean, they probably get the. I mean, they get the stop there on third and six, and this game is completely different if they get the stop on the first drive instead of pit score in there. So it hurts, but you can kind of live with them. The ones that kill me are false start, second and eight, false start, second and one, false start, second and two from the two. Oh, man. Like those, those ones, you can't have that. And you've got to spend a lot of time in practice doing extra hard count stuff, working hard on making sure you communicate to know everybody knows the count, all of this stuff. I know that the Carolina coaching staff on the one down inside the, the red zone, they were claiming that, that, that Pitt had clapped to, uh, to cause them to jump off, that the defense had, had done the illegal signal thing. So, I mean, I don't know whether that's actually the case or not. I know that, that half the Carolina sideline was screaming at the officials about that. So, you know, maybe that's the case. But what I don't get is, okay, if that's the case, why are you going on anything but, but on one down inside the five-yard line? There's really no benefit to getting the extra yard on second and one from the, from the two-yard line or second and two from the two-yard line. You, you might, you're going to get one yard. But if you, if you jump off – dude that's that's five so some some frustrating things there uh the personal fouls on on the offense too those were just bad technique the the two cut block penalties and they're they were the same penalty on on two different position groups so there's a disconnect here you can't go low there you're allowed to go low if you're head up with the guy and he's coming downhill similar to what happened with Cam Kelly, where he got cut blocked. That's a legal cut block. You cannot going, in, going inside out where a guy is the edge defender and he's coming at an angle. You cannot go low there. You have to, you have to, to stay up and kick him out. And that happened twice. These are, these are just technique things that the, that the coaching staff, like you said, you get what you allow. Uh, these are things that, you have to make sure that that's drilled so many times that that's just never an opportunity. That's never a possibility. And those are technique things like the holding that is not so much the result of a lack of penalty discipline, but the, but the lack of attention to detail on some things in terms of overall blocking. And, you know, one of them is a young player. Another one though, you've got a, a, a guy who's a third year starter that makes that mistake and it, it can't happen. Cannot happen. So we've done the good, the bad, the ugly. It's been the day after podcasts. Buck Sanders and Jason Staples got up early with me to get it knocked out. 
Uh, Carolina falls to Pittsburgh 30 to 23, leaves Wofford and NC State uh, coming up. I think those games uh, after that defensive performance, if they can repeat it against a Power Five team, uh, I think Carolina's got an opportunity to finish this season strong. Buck, Jason, I know we've talked a lot. There's probably plenty more folks want to hear about. That's why they should stay tuned inside Carolina for all the coverage. VIP's podcast is coming. Of course, basketball is going on. Greg and Gregory and all them are knocking that out. Ross's post game with Ignersall is available if you want to check that out. Um, but that's going to do it for us today. It is Friday, the day after Carolina and Pitt, Jason Staples, Buck Sanders, and of course, Johnny T shirt. Thanks, fellas. Thanks. And uh, just a heads up my column may be a little late this morning because I've been otherwise occupied. <laughs> well, <laughs> Put you this, writing it while we were while we were talking. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote it for you. Okay, you could uh, you can drop Tommy's it. rant. I can just call it that. <laughs> wow. Drop this in it. Check this podcast out in Buck's column. It's always yeah. a good one. Thanks, Buck. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now it is a do man. Do average twenty-nine and eleven. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward the podcast so you don't miss a thing.